as I work out my future and as I reflect about things and sometimes even lament my own lack of faith or my inaction, I've thought and even said to myself, and I think I've even said it to others, if only. If only I had a burning bush moment like Moses, I would know for certain what God wants me to do. If only I had a Damascus Road conversion, I would then have the fortitude to completely deny myself and charge forward with the gospel like Paul did. If only. Any of you ever had any thoughts like that? Well, the story of Rahab has actually changed the way I think about that. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2 as we jump in here. Now, the book of Joshua records Israel's conquest of the promised land. And here in chapter 2, we get an in-depth glimpse of the interaction of Rahab with the two Israeli spies. Starting in verse 1. Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly to Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now, Jericho was a formidable fortress guarding the road leading into the mountains. And here we have Joshua sending two spies in, which was something that they did 40 years ago as Moses sent spies to seek out or to search out the entire land. But here's a little bit different. As you recall, 40 years before, God had commanded Moses to take one man from each tribe and to send them into the promised land. And when they came back, there were two who had good things to say and ten that said that it was impossible. So what's the lesson here? The lesson is that committees kill momentum. <laughs> this time, Joshua had no such command from God to pick any certain men. So he picked two, and certainly we would guess that Joshua, as the leader of this country, now taking Moses' place, picked two men who were of like mind. We know that they're of like mind because as we work through this text and we get into verse 14, when they are negotiating with Rahab, one of them says, when the Lord gives us the land. There was no doubt this time. They were going to conquer the land and take what was rightfully theirs because God had promised that to them. Now this whole mission was intended to be a secret, just two men going in. But the secret didn't last very long. We don't know what it was, but as soon as they get into the city, they were found out. And someone took the word to the king. And in that moment, Jericho's worst fears became reality. When those Israelites walked through the gate and began their mission. Picking up in verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. 
But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, the business of a harlot is often a means of survival. Their humanity often stripped away, degraded to the mere object of lust. Their entire life is a transaction. And here, Rahab has the opportunity to interact with the king of Jericho, a person on the opposite social scale as her. She could have turned this into another transaction. She could have cooperated with the king and helped capture the spies. Maybe she would have been seen as a hero who helped save her people, maybe rewarded for her loyalty. But instead, she had already hatched another plan a plan that would make her a traitor to her people. And as you read through this, it seems as if she had been waiting for this opportunity. When those two spies showed up at her door, she instantly jumped into action. She knew they would be seen, and her house could be searched. And so when the king's messenger arrived, Rahab had already hidden the spies on the roof. And it's good that she did, too, because the king's messenger had no reason to take the word of a harlot. In fact, when we look at this, it all happened so fast that she and the spies had not even had a chance to talk yet. And yet she handled it flawlessly. She had done her part exceptionally well. She told the lie and added the extra little information that makes it seem sincere. She said, pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Now the providence of God was on full display in this passage. The two Israelite spies showing up at the only house in the entire city where the occupant happened to be on their side and was willing to help. But Rahab, in doing this, had now put herself in danger by aiding the spies and lying to the king. She was certainly in danger. Hammurabi was a king in Babylonia in the 18th century BC, and he had one of the first systems of law. And one of his laws read like this If felons are banded together in an alewife's house, that is, a prostitute or innkeeper's house, and she has not hailed them to the palace, that is, she hasn't notified the palace, that alewife shall be put to death. It's easy to believe that Jericho would have had similar laws or expectations. We'd already seen that someone else had reported this, in fact, to the king. And yet she chose a different path. Why does she choose to become a traitor to her people? Think about this. She lives in a fortified city with an army. 
And at that moment, there were only two spies there, certainly manageable if she's able to get the right people there. From a different perspective, the Canaanites had many gods. She could have prayed or offered a sacrifice to El, the chief god, or Baal, his son, asking and seeking for protection from what appears to be a coming invasion. She has options, or so it seems. But instead, she chooses this path. And what we see is that Rahab is driven by her convictions that were already formed. When the dust settles and the soldiers have ridden away, the gate is closed, and at that time, Rahab returns to talk to the spies. Let's take a look, picking up in verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This the speech of a harlot. In the dialogue that's recorded here, Rahab makes three important statements that shed light on why she put herself in danger. The first, in verse 9, she says, The Lord has given Israel the land. How does she know that the Lord has given Israel the land? What does she attribute this to? Does she herself know that more than 400 years ago, God had promised this exact same land to Abraham? Recorded in Genesis 15, everything from the Tigris to the Euphrates was to be theirs. Does she know that God three times told Israel the reason that they were getting the land and that the Canaanites were being dispossessed was because of the Canaanites' wickedness? Recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Or had she simply deduced that God was giving Israel the land because of the power God had displayed at the Red Sea and the way the Amorites were annihilated? And now she sees two spies at Jericho, so they must be next. The second important thing that Rahab says in this passage in verse 10 is that everyone had heard what God did for Israel from the Red Sea to the victories on the battlefield, and they were terrified. They melted away. No courage remained. Everyone knew what God had done. Everyone had the same information. Everyone was terrified. And the third important thing that she said was that God was the God of heaven and earth below. This is a stark contrast between all the other inhabitants of Jericho. Only Rahab, a woman from the lowliest stations in society, heard these stories and based on what she heard, believed that God... Yahweh was the God of heaven and earth, and her faith 
drove her into action. She was a woman of conviction. She said, the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She follows up this great declaration about God with a plea, picking up in verse 12. She says to the spies, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also deal kindly with my father's household. And give me a pledge of truth, and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What does she ask? She only asks that her family's life be spared. She doesn't specify any other condition other than that they be alive. Rahab knows about the defeats of the Amorites. See, Israel's defeat of the Amorites was in keeping with the instruction they had received from God in Deuteronomy 20, in that when they possessed the land, they were to kill everyone, so that the inhabitants of the land do not teach Israel to do detestable things, and therefore sin against God. The annihilation of one of the kings, Og, is recorded in Numbers chapter 21, Speaking of Og, it says, So they killed him and his sons and all his people until there was no remnant left him, and they possessed the land. Rahab's faith in the God of Israel was so absolute, she knew she was fighting for her life. If she stayed in Jericho, even though it was a fortress, she would die because God had given the Israelites the land and the victory and they had previously dealt harshly with other nations. Now some have said that when the spies made this deal with Israel, and then when Joshua allows it to be carried out, that they were actually going against or disobeying what God had commanded them in Deuteronomy 20. That is, to kill all the inhabitants. But the purpose of that command was to pre prevent the inhabitants from leading Israel astray into idolatry. But here we have a woman, a woman whose testimony and actions show she had a genuine faith in the God of Israel. She arguably has more faith in God than many of the Israelites. Think about that. Many of the Israelites who doubted 40 years before, who had themselves walked through the Red Sea, who had seen the presence of God on the mountain, who had been cared for and provided all along the way, when they get to the promised land, they said, no, it's not possible. They had experienced those things firsthand. They had an awesome interaction with God. But yet here, a Canaanite woman who hears three stories has a different reaction. Pick up the story in verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. 
so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you, and hide yourself there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterwards you may go your, your way. The men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to which you have made us swear unless we come into the land, unless when we come into the land you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. And gather to yourself and to the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all of your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The similarities between the red cord in the window and the command for placing blood on the, of the lamb over the doorway in the Passover is striking, isn't it? Marking the door in the Passover and here marking the window is a sign to not do harm to those who are inside the home. In the Passover, the entire family goes inside and does not step outside. Here, the entire family is instructed to be inside Rahab's house and to not step outside. Her faith continues to be worked out as she tied that scarlet cord to the window after the spies were let out. I think ahead to James in the New Testament in chapter 2 says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. If she had not risked her life to help those spies, she and her family would be dead. If she does not tie the scarlet cord to the window, she and her family will be dead. Rahab's faith in the God of Israel is driving her actions. Finishing up the story, starting in verse 22, the spies, they departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. The spies returned home and reported everything. Their report to Joshua was surely a boost to Israel's morale. When they heard how the inhabitants of Jericho were living in fear, terrified of Israel, proof further to Israel that God continues to clear the way, that their obedience will be rewarded with favor and blessing from God, just as he had said. So there we have the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua recording the conquest of the promised land. 
then it makes me ask, why does Rahab get an entire chapter and why did her story lead me to think that I was wrong to believe that an awe-inspiring interaction with God would lead me to act differently than I have? Now Rahab goes on to marry an Israelite and she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Some speculated that one of the spies who were not named uh, goes on to be her husband. She's listed in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1. The letter of James refers to her by name. And she's listed in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11 that Troy read for us. The author of Hebrews says in verse 1, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now take Rahab. She hoped for salvation. She hoped to live when Israel conquered Jericho. Based on the stories she had heard, the stories of God bringing Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground and the victories over the Amorites, she was convinced she had a conviction that Yahweh was responsible for that. She believed that Yahweh is the God of heaven and earth. She had not seen any of those things. She had only heard and she believed. She did not have a dramatic, awe-inspiring conversion like Paul. She heard and she believed. Her belief caused her to hide those spies before she had even negotiated a deal for her safety. If you look at that, it happened so fast, she hid them because she knew that they would be found out. And after the coast was clear, she went back and made her plea for safety. She acted in faith even though no one else dared. Everyone in Jericho saw the exact same thing. They heard the exact same stories, and the stories terrified them. But yet their response was different than hers. Her response was that she acted in faith, and when it was time, she put her safety in jeopardy. What about you and I? What about you and I? Why is the story of Rahab detailed in this chapter? As we'll find out going on in chapter 3 and 4, God had commanded them to make memorials so that the future generations would see and would know what God had done. Rahab had three stories, and we have an entire Bible. We have a hundred times more information than she did. Everything God wants us to know about him is recorded in the Bible. Do you believe that God is the God of heaven and earth? Do you believe 
that he can and has provided for your salvation through the death and burial and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he has given you his spirit? Do you believe that he has adopted you as a son or daughter? Do you believe that he has left you in an eternal inheritance? Do you believe that he has given you a purpose? Is all of this your hope? Does your faith compel you to act? See, when I would make those thoughts or statements or have those thoughts about only if, only if something grand had happened to me, then surely I would have the conviction that my faith would be strong enough. I often think of Elijah and the amount of faith that it took for him to stand before 400 prophets of Baal and to taunt them and then to call down fire from heaven. And I know that my faith is not that strong. But my faith wouldn't be any different if God met me on the Damascus Road like he did Paul. Because I have something better than all of that. I have this right here. The word of God. Everything that's needed for faith and salvation is right here. And if I have questions about my faith, if I'm doubting my faith, this is what I turn to. This is the promises of God. This is the assurance of God. This is proof that through millennium, God has a plan and he has taken care of his people. Now, unlike last time, I went really short this time. The story of Rahab is incredible that a woman in her position in life could be listed with so many other greats of the faith. We should be encouraged and reminded that it is not necessarily how much you know. It's whether you believe what you know and whether you act upon it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preserving examples like Rahab that show us that you have a plan for nations and you have a plan for individuals and in your providence and in your greatness and your all-knowing, you alone are able to work out all of those things. Things that I can never imagine, things that I can't comprehend, you have waiting for me For all who claim your name, Lord, you have a plan. You have given us an inheritance. You have given us a hope. And that my faith is based on what I believe about what you have told me about yourself. Father, we're thankful for your word. And we're thankful that we are able to gather in places like this. That we are able to read your word, to study your word, to encourage one another, Father. I pray that you would lead us to have the faith of a woman like Rahab. That what we believe takes action. We ask all these things in your name.
Amen.